I'm sure everybody around the country is preaching roughly on what happened this week. Uh, not really unexpected. And it it's it's the right thing to do. Um we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about that incident specifically because there's no I don't know if there's any benefit to that. But um, you know, and it's everybody in here, almost everybody in here that I know of is is a parent, I'm assuming. Um so obviously when these kind of things happen, it's it it all it always hits close to home. <clears throat> so you know the wor- the world can worry us to death. I and I get it because things happen. Um, if we if we were to play the the news twenty four seven in here, we'd be we'd be worried twenty four seven. I'm sure because there's plenty of things to talk about. There's you know there's there are school shootings that happen. There are regular shootings that happen. Um, there are shootings where good guys come out ahead. I mean, it's stuff like that happens. There's foreign wars going on. We have food shortages. We have supply chain issues, legal issues, critical race theory, transgenderism, BLM. I mean, we have elections coming up. I mean, there's there's always something to to worry about if you want. The, the limit of your worry, the limit of worrying is, is your limit, how much you're willing to put on your plate. So some of these things, they, they affect us quite directly. Some of them, it just depends on how much we let them, how we handle them. Some of these are things that we prepare for, perhaps. You know, nobody wants to be, uh, you know, nobody wants to be chicken little worried about everything under the sun, but then nobody wants to be the little pigs that built their house out of straw. So it's, there's a, there's a line somewhere there. Um, and how we, how we think about these things, how we, how we plan for them, how we react to them. It, it just, it depends on who we're relying on. You can rely on, you can rely on the government. You can rely on your family members, rely on yourself. But, this world, it's gonna it's gonna rile you up if you let it. Our lives will rile us up because we have things that happen to us. Obviously, my recommendation is that we rely on God. Um, this is not surprising. If I didn't say that, I don't know what I'd be doing up here. So more specifically, um and not only, but I think specifically, this this lays out the importance of of the Word of God. Okay, I'm biased on this because I do love the Word of God. Um, I I treasure every word that I read in there. I live in it as much as I can, and I openly admit that I don't live in it as much as I should. Those are two different things. But. Regardless if I'm biased in it or if you are, bias doesn't uh, doesn't determine whether that thing is good or bad, um, whether it's true or false, whether it's good for you or not. It's because it comes from God that we know it's good. 
And it's because God has shown us what is good that we know what is evil in the world. There's a direct connection to all of that. We wouldn't know anything was evil without God telling us what is good. So, like I said, a person can decide if they want to rely on the Word of God, but whether they decide to or not, that doesn't have anything to do with its worth. Its worth is there no matter your decision. So we should thank God whenever we get a chance to be in His Word, even if that's 10 minutes a day. That's the best 10 minutes you could spend that day, if that's all you get. So, just for clarification, I'm I'm not. I'm rec- <clears throat> when we say the word, there's a couple different ways of, of thinking of that. I'm speaking of the holy inspired text, but there is Christ being called the Word of God. There is the Holy Spirit that speaks through us. God speaks to us through His creation, but definitely through His Scripture. That's why He left it there for us. That's why He had people write it down. And when things like this happen, that is the safest place to turn to. Because if you don't, like I said, you can watch the news all day and you will never be satisfied with what happened. You will never find any solace in what happened. But we have to live in the Word. So we're going to be in Matthew today. Um, if you want to follow along, it's gonna it's on seven nineteen in your pew Bible. Um, if you're not in a pew Bible, it's Matthew four one through eleven. And we're going to see where Jesus lays out how important the Word is for us. Would anybody like to read uh, 1 through 4 for me? Sure. <clears throat> I will. Okay. Uh, all right. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceedeth out of the mouth, mouth of God. What you should okay. for. Yep, yep, you're good. <laughs> so, we have the foundation of the situation going on here. Right off the bat, just looking at this, you have to wonder at the haughtiness of, of Satan. Because Satan isn't new to Jesus, and Jesus isn't new to Satan. I mean, Jesus created Satan. So he knows who he's dealing with, and he's going to come to tempt him. He knows that this is his God. So you have to, you don't have to, but just the thought of the delusion that Satan in this situation is in, to think that he can come and do what he wants to do, and it's no wonder that he fell. There's no wonder. Now, 
this is kind of a side note to here, but do you notice that the number 40 is used here? And I'm not placing any special emphasis on the number 40, but as you read Scripture, you will notice that 40 is used a lot by God. Why? I, I, I guess I don't know. But I mean, Genesis, the earth was flooded for 40 days, 40 nights. There's a lot of 40 related to Moses, whether it be wandering in the desert or when he went to Midian after he had killed the Egyptian. Uh, there's all sorts of 40s in the, in the story of Moses. In other Old Testament scriptures, it's all over the place. Um, it's 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. So I don't have an, uh, an explanation for that. I just found it very interesting that 40 seems to have some significance there. If anybody has anything on that at the end, please uh, share it. Um, but again, we just we have the just the outright blasphemy of Satan in this situation because he knows it's the Son of God. But Jesus, what's some of the things that Jesus could have done here? I mean, Jesus could have winked him out of existence. He could have said, I've had enough of you. I'm done with you. He counters him with Scripture. He says, it is written, the man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Does anybody know where he's quoting from there? He's quoting out of, uh, yes, Deuteronomy. Okay. I was hoping somebody would get it. Yeah, Deuteronomy 8.3. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. So like I said, we have to understand what's happening here. Jesus is being tempted, but he's allowing Satan to tempt him. He doesn't have to. And what we have here is, yes, Jesus could have turned something into food. He could have done whatever he wanted. But the food is a representation for us here. It's a representation of human wants. And instead of battling this as he could have as God, he battles it as we should as man. He follows back to the Word of God. So Jesus is showing us how we can face our battles. <clears throat> and that's why we can use and should have always used Scripture for battling temptation and Satan. This is a gift from God for us and we should use it. That's why it's so important to keep the Word of God close to yourself, to yourself and to keep it active, to always be in it so that you're so familiar with it and that it's ingrained in your heart. Because if you're not armed with the Word of God, you're just ignorant to it. And that there's no good footing there. No good footing. Can I get somebody to read 5 through 7? Somebody different? Yeah, you can read it. Uh, 5 through 7? 5 through 7. I just lost this. Then the devil took him to a holy city and have him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourselves down, for it is written, you command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, 
so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord to your God to the test. Thank you. So, Jesus turns back to, to uh, Scripture again here. And he uses this, I like at the end there, because it was a Scripture, but it was also a statement. He's talking to someone. He's not just talking to himself. He's saying, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. He knows that he is Satan's God, whether Satan likes it or not. And this is a really hard pill for some people to swallow in the world. Probably not the best evangelistic technique to go up and say, whether you like it, he's your God or not. Um, most people may or may not respond well to that, but it's true nonetheless. That's why we have to love people enough to share the gospel with them and to treat them as our neighbor because God is their God no matter what they think. It's just the way it is. <clears throat> now, did you notice what happened, though, in there? Because we're talking about the importance of Scripture. Did anybody catch anything specifically that happened in there that I haven't talked about in that verse? I have my own opinion. Sure. Uh, Satan twisted Psalm 91 out of context. And that's where Jesus never corrected him on Psalm 91. He brought him right to the law, which said you shall put the Lord God to your te to the test. You know, Jesus knew. If you look at early in the New Testament, he had a whole legion of angels ready to come down and say, Jesus mm -hmm. knew this. He knew that he had that protection, but he's not going to put his father to the test of that. They're there in a the time of when it happens. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to step into that deal. Granted, Psalm 91 is correct, but he twisted it out of context. Jesus brought back to the law, which said, no, you cannot test. And that's exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for. Somebody else cited Scripture. It wasn't just Jesus in this scenario. The devil cited Scripture, and he took it out of context. He tried to use it against him. Psalm 91 does say, For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways, on their hands they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Now, if we start digging into Psalm, Psalm 91, it's not going to mean the way Satan is intending it. But this is why context is so key. This is why we can't just quote a verse from the Bible and make a point with it. You can but you can very well lead somebody a wrong way if you want to because you have to see what else is going on in Scripture. There's a totality to Scripture. You can make Scripture say whatever you want if you just pick a verse here and there, but that is not how to interpret it. We were given all of Scripture, not just one or two verses. This is why, as well, you should never, and I say never, Trust what I'm telling you as the holy truth. Don't ever do that. You check everything yourself. I throw an example on this. Yeah. <laughs> it just reminds me of that video. There's this prosperity teacher on TV a while ago. 
is talking about. He's like, you know, if you send his money, God will bless you. And he quotes uh, Isaiah 54, verse 17. He's like, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And like he's mm. preaching and all that. And then he's like, everybody's eyes up here. Well, then if you go to chapter 55, verse 1, it goes, the free offer of mercy. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you have no money, come buy, come buy wine. Like this totally contradicts his prosperity message. Mm-hmm. I mean, he took... A really powerful verse that I think a lot of people know, 5417, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. But he twisted it into his prosperity message. But if you, if you wanted everybody's eyes up, because if they continued reading, they're going to realize, well, I don't have to, all this stuff you're telling me, I don't have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, so, sorry. Yeah. Remind me of that real quick. That is why you should always test a message. You should always test a message. It is your responsibility to test the message. Because it's your salvation, it's your walk with God, it's your relationship with the Spirit. And if you catch something, it's your responsibility to call it out. Context is very key, and Jesus sees what Satan does here, encounters him with Scripture to put it into context. So let's, uh, 8 through 11, would somebody else like to read that? Uh oh. <laughs> okay. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world of their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will lay down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came to attend him. Look at that, sorry. So once again, we see see exactly why Satan fell. He's trying to give God something that's already his. It's just the audacity of it. It just kills me. And he wants God to worship him. <clears throat> so, so Satan is rebuked, though, by the Scripture, for it is written. This is why we keep talking about this, because you have nothing to fear of Satan if you're a believer in Christ. You can rebuke him whenever you want. He has no power over you if you live in God. And if you notice, Jesus didn't use, he didn't use a symbol, he didn't use holy water, didn't use some kind of ancient relic. He just used the Word of God. You know, I, I wear a cross all the time, but it has no power. It's just a symbol of my faith. The faith is where the power comes from. That is where you get it. Something important to realize there. Because the Word resides inside you and it's shown externally. That's powerful. And that is why Satan fears us. So... It's not a very in-depth sermon today, 
But the point is clear. We have tragedies galore in this world. All you have to do is look for them if you want them, if you want to see them. They're there. But we have the fountain of God to go to whenever we want. How We just have to do it. And your outlook on life is drastically different. Yes, you, you mourn when something happens, but you have solace. You have godly solace. We know where those little kids are right now. They're in a place way better than where we are right now. <clears throat> and we have to keep going back to the Word. Otherwise, Scripture talks about the possibility of falling away if you're not constantly in God. Now, whether or not you believe that can happen, I'm just saying what Scripture says. It tells you, God tells you to stay in the Word because it sanctifies you, further sanctified. Sanctification is a funny thing because you're sanctified upon belief, but yet it's also a process that needs to continue the rest of your life. And you don't get there by ignoring it. So stay in the Word. It's vital for us. It helps us to obey God and not sin, which is a constant fight. It will help us in guarding from false teachings, whether they come from somebody good intended or not, from false teachers. It helps you to spend more time with God. People often ask, well, you know, how do I see God? How do I be with Him? Get in the Word. God is there. God is with you. It's going to help you grow as a believer in no way that I could ever match by preaching to you. Ever. And it keeps you from getting comfortable. Yes, there's a certain comfort in your faith, because I have that as well. But when you read the Word, it helps you in growing because you don't want to stay stagnant where you're at. You don't want to just stand there and do nothing. This is what we need so that we can know God better than we could on our own. So, like I said, very kind of condensed. I just wanted to get the point across that we have to stay in the Word when these kind of things happen because the world will tell you lots of other ways to deal with this. They'll tell you to go and seek a psychologist, go and meditate, go and do all these things. But that's not where you're going to find anything. Does anybody have any questions or anything they'd like to add on? Right. I think what's pretty cool here, you see in verse 11, which is chapter 4, Psalm 91 is fulfilled through Christ's obedience. You go back to verse 6, where Satan's trying to tempt him about, he will command the angels concerning you on their hands, they will rear you up. And Jesus rebuked him for that, and then he rebuked him again, and what happened in verse 11? The angels came and began to administer to him. On God's so time frame. His obedience to Scripture and God, mm -hmm. that reward happened anyway. He could have obviously stepped outside the will of God and tempted the Lord God, but he didn't. He rebuked Satan, corrected him with Scripture, and next thing you know, he gets the promise of Psalm 91 right there, which we all can still get that promise of Psalm 91. It wasn't just fulfilled there, but the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
And when you do overcome that type of stuff, there's it's an amazing experience after the fact. It's a big temptation when you step away from that. I mean, the Holy Spirit's ministering to you in that moment. Of, and you're going to come out empowered by that in grace and truth. And that last verse is a good point, too, in the timing of God, because... Jesus in his flesh had been fasting for 40 days. I'm sure he was hungry and wanted the angels to come and minister him, to him. But he let everything happen in the Father's time frame there. So that's a good, good reminder to us.